0: Hello, I'm Stuart Chittenden, and this is Lives, a show about conversation, community, and the people that bring community to life. My guest today is singer-songwriter Virginia Catherine. Not only will we be in conversation, but Virginia will also perform a few of her songs for us live in the studio. If you go to one of Virginia's shows, chances are, you might first hear the delicate nuance of fingerstyle folk guitar, see her throw back her head and wail out a blues tune, or drag a brass slide across the strings of her lap steel guitar. And in between songs, you might hear a ghost story or three, spoken over the sounds of soft conversation. For Virginia, it's the stories that bring meaning to the music, whether with words or without. In 2016, Virginia was selected as a participant for the Silk Road Ensemble's Global Musician Workshop. A project initiated by Yo-Yo Ma bringing together musicians from around the world to perform traditional music in innovative ways. Virginia was also nominated in 2017 by the Omaha Arts and Entertainment Awards Committee for Best Blues Artist. One of Virginia's greatest joys when performing is seeing the way that songs can touch people from a distance of decades or centuries returning through her own contemporary musical voice. Virginia's debut album, Vintage Sepia, has just been released. Virginia, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me here today.
0: I feel like much of your music and lyrical work blends storytelling, myth-making, literature, and um, a philosophy about how music can be contemporary. But I feel like I'm describing your philosophy for you, but, but I want you to maybe unpack some of that for us.
1: Sure. So when I sit down to write a song, and I was thinking about this as we were talking before uh, before we got together here today, when I sit down to write a song, I often find myself kind of mythologizing things in my everyday life, creating fairy tales and you know ghost stories out of things that have haunted me or that have kind of followed me out of dreams and into everyday life.
0: I love how you, uh, in your bio, on your website, you talk about ghost stories of the British Isles to trickster spirits and legends of the idealized American past. And it seems like such a really diverse array of inspirations.
1: Yeah. And a lot of that, I think, started with the sounds of the guitar because I found so many parallels with the ways that, you know, British folk fingerstyle guitarists like Bert Yanch and John Renborn played their songs. And then they would borrow these, you know, idealized American stories like Bert Yanch played a lot of American songs. He played a lot of blues songs. And seeing how that was interpreted from one culture to the next has been really interesting.
0: So at this point, it's fair, I think, that anybody that knows me will understand that I'm fairly ignorant about many of the musical descriptions that you're offering us. So you talk about fingerstyle. Oh, yeah. What does this mean?
1: Well, let me offer a little bit of an example here. (laughs) So uh, here in the studio today, I brought two guitars. Um, Over there, I have my Guild Dreadnought, which has, um, unbeknownst to me, I I have no idea whose signatures those are, but it is decorated with several signatures. And then the guitar in my hands right now, this is a resonator guitar, and it's... um, This one you would more commonly hear in blues or country music And I think you'll kind of hear the difference as I transition from this guitar to the other one There's a sort of a tinny metallic sound the metallic sound to it because this kind of guitar was originally designed um, when guitars were first being brought into bands and they needed a way to project the sound before amplification happened So they designed this resonator that goes on it And that's why it's called the resonator guitar So, um, we're talking about finger style, so I'm getting ahead of myself here. Um, so a lot of times you hear, like, the strumming singer-songwriter... So that's your strumming technique. But um, finger style means that you're using, um, or at least I'm using my thumb and the first three fingers on my hand. The pinky doesn't really have much to do with it in my playing, but um, you're using those fingers to pluck out a tune a little bit more delicately like this. so the thumb kind of makes the bass line and the, um, the fingers kind of make the accompaniment. And especially in a lot of these British fingerstyle guitarists that we're starting to talk about here, um, you'll hear them playing melodies over the bass line like this.
0: I have to say, I I love that sort of impromptu guitar lesson, which is (laughs) fantastic for me. It suggests to me that there is a distinct love of tradition in your approach to music. Maybe talk a little bit about this love for traditional types of music.
1: So when I was first starting to play guitar and picking out songs to play, you know, I've of course loved pop rock. I would listen to Collective Soul and Pearl Jam and Soundgarden and those grunge guitarists in the 90s. Um, So I would listen to those, but I really found myself entranced. By um, these folk fingerstyle guitarists, because I found them incorporating this uh, transcendental poetry, this transcendentalist poetry into their lyrics. And I loved the way that, you know, uh, songwriters like Nick Drake will incorporate that into the style of playing. You know, he's singing about a flowing river or autumn leaves, and you can hear that in the playing. I think fingerstyle guitar um, gets the lyrics across in a way that maybe strumming isn't quite capable of doing yet
0: it would seem to me that you use a particular guitar in mind as you're thinking about the music lyrics and then maybe the story or the the message that you're trying to get the music to share so so how do you think about the construction of all of these different elements when you're conceiving a song
1: that's a great question so when i'm when i'm starting to conceive a song I always think about the colors that I want to paint with, you know. So if I'm playing a jazz song, I'm probably going to want a bright, shiny uh, Telecaster or uh, electric hollow body kind of sound. And that's what you hear on the album in a couple of the jazz oriented tracks. You know, playing bossa nova influenced things and bringing in a little bit of that classical guitar maybe. Um, so I, I try to use colors that kind of reflect the landscapes that I'm painting with the words. Um to, to extend the metaphor out a little bit longer. Um, so on the opening track, City Soundtracks, that one's kind of a, um, how to describe it? It's the hymn of a city boy that's been called away to the country, but he wants to come back. So it's kind of your reverse blues tune. I'm trying to reverse those tropes and see what would happen if someone were taken out of the city when that's where they really belonged. You know, you hear about, you know, take me home country roads, that kind of thing. I wanted to reverse that. Uh, shall I play a little song for you? Alright, this is City Soundtracks and I'm playing it on the Resonator guitar today.
2: In a house on damp concrete At night the trains began to sigh Nostalgic metal cries As a boy of eight you could hear the levees Moaning by your door You asked your sisters why they speak when oceans, they could roar. Groaning city soundtracks, the traffic's tainting back. Each step toward the cool sea foam just took you far from home. As a boy of adolescent means, you clambered to the coast. Cacophony in memory, you listened for the most. Groaning city soundtracks, the traffic's tiding back. The winter sun—it's never sung your old familiar hum. You promised you would taste the sun, wade into the sea. The silence taught you how to breathe Left no space to see Dark and home gave phosphorescent glow. You let the street lights veil the moon and wash their glow on you. Groaning city soundtracks, the waters pushing through. Botanical and concrete walls, your city songs will come. Thank
0: you. Thank you. Why did you choose that particular tune?
1: Um, I feel like this song kind of exemplifies what we're talking about with that intersection of American tradition and new music. Because I'm sure you noticed I was playing a little bit of finger style. It's not often that I break the song down like this, but I play a little bit of finger style with that kind of roll to it. So that's me alluding to... Um, some of those interpretive artists like Burt Jansch, they would use that kind of a rolling style. But when we get into the chorus and it gets louder, we start to strum, we start to feel the rush of the city coming back to him. So I feel like this song is a really good example of me using the guitar to speak the song just as much as my voice.
0: So let's, let's go back then to some of that uh, earlier conversation we were having about the story. Yeah. And the narrative that you're telling. And um, you've talked about the love of folklore and literature. And you have this particular philosophy about the relationship between short form and long form fiction and songwriting. And so I'm curious about how the narrative structure of songs and, and maybe the tradition of literature itself informs how you approach your creative arts.
1: So one of my one of my passions that I've nurtured for a long long time is fiction writing and both in the short and long form and I find that it's it's very refreshing to go back and forth between the two forms of writing for me because when you when you write a song you have both a very limited pa- a limited canvas to work on but you have so much wider of a palette that you can paint with because you can create soundscapes that reflect those narratives that you're trying to create you know in city soundtracks you can, especially when you listen to the full recorded version, you can hear it rise and crescendo just as the waves do, and just as the, tra- the waves of traffic and the waves of the sea do. Um, but if I were to turn that into a short story, you would lose some of that. Um, the tone and the voice. Um, but at the same time... You turn to prose fiction and there's so much more that you can do with the story. You can stretch it out. You can explore much, much further into the depths of these characters than you otherwise get the chance to in songwriting. Which is why I love these um I, I love narrative albums that tell a story like um I've been really obsessed with Aeneas Mitchell and Hades Town recently. Um she created essentially a musical. It's a retelling of the Greek myth of Orpheus and Eurydice, but set in America, I believe during the Great Depression. And it, that's another, that's another album that kind of exemplifies what I'm talking about with the relationship between story and song. And it also exemplifies um, the relationship between what we think of as folk song and what's happening out there in the world. When Aeneas Mitchell first wrote Why We Build the Wall, which is one of the, one of the biggest songs to come off of that record, um, when she first wrote that, I believe it was... Gosh, it must have been towards the beginning of the 2000s, but it was long before a lot of what we're seeing in the political realm right now. And with Town arriving at, uh, in New York and being performed by the actor studios there, um, these songs have kind of received a revival. And you're seeing now there's singer-songwriters performing this song around the, uh, around the country with an entirely different meaning in mind. So one of the main lines, we build the wall to keep us free. That's why we build the wall. You can't help but think about the people who are being shut out of this country now and today.
0: So I find that fascinating that what may be stereotypically regarded as a somewhat dated and traditional and potentially irrelevant musical form like folk music you're interpreting in a way that is vibrantly relevant to contemporary issues and i wonder if if that's true if you have some examples of how you're seeing something in traditional folk music that is relevant today or how you are reinterpreting folk music to be relevant for today
1: so, in in the talks of today, um, we're noticing a lot of movement toward breaking down old traditional structures. And you're see- we're seeing that a lot in the folk music scene, too. Um, this spring, I got to attend Folk Alliance International um, down in Kansas City, and I met a lot of musicians down there who were working t- on this initiative of decolonizing folk music as an idea, as a tradition. And, um, one of the, one of the new concepts that they're throwing around is called global roots music, instead of folk music, because when people think of folk music, they tend to have this very umbrella concept, you know, I do the same thing, you know, I'm talking about American traditional music and folk music interchangeably, you know, I'm making the same mistakes, but it's, it's a matter of convenience in a lot of ways, um, you know, I went down to Folk Alliance International thinking I was going to find the heart of folk music, you know, and it's breaking down in front of my eyes, but it's beautiful because uh, there are these musicians from Canada who are, you know, indigenous musicians reinterpreting songs that come from their oral traditions. And then there are musicians from Australia and New Zealand doing the same thing, all coming together in Kansas City and breaking down these preconceived notions. And it makes me think back, too, to when I was attending the Global Musician Workshop um, for the second time last year in 2017. And um, we started to have these conversations that we hadn't had before about, you know, is it really appropriate for us coming from a Western musical tradition and a Western musical background? To start playing, you know, songs from Syria, songs from Lebanon, songs from um, Persia with the same with, uh, you know, are are we not giving them enough reverence? Are we not giving them enough cultural context? So these are these are concerns that need to be discussed. Because um, even as I, as I was starting as a musician, I thought it was cool to incorporate a Middle Eastern mode or a Middle Eastern melody without any nod to its cultural context. And, you know, it's something as simple as, you know, giving name to the geographical region from which it came, but it's, it's about cultural appropriation. And folk music both transcends those boundaries and is trapped by those boundaries.
0: So is that what is meant then by that phrase, decolonizing of folk music? It's giving it some cultural context, some recognition and avoiding temptations to appropriate where that isn't perhaps authentically done in some way.
1: Couldn't have said it better myself. (laughs) You took the words right out of my mouth. And it's, you know, it's it's something that we see in fairy tales and folklore, too. You know, this catch-all term of folklore, um, which I have become so fascinated with. I started out um, as an undergraduate student, you know, jumping into religious studies, thinking that I was going to discover the archetypes that were hiding underneath all of the folklore and all the stories, tying everything together well. Little did I know that I I would completely turn around my views on that as time went on.
0: So so what about that idea then of making uh, folk music or um, how would we term it, um, global roots music? What about this idea of perhaps adjusting some stereotypical perceptions of people outside this particular musical tradition and Making that relevant to the contemporary issues that that we see in the world around us today.
1: I think it's largely a matter of going back and finding as much as we can of the original sources on these things. You know, I think of blues as a pretty strong example for this. Um, I am not a fan of Eric Clapton. <laughs> we'll just we'll just start by saying that. Um, I listen to a lot of. Um, British blues rock when I was I I listened to a lot of British blues rock when I was starting to play guitar and As I discovered these artists, you know, I was listening to Cream, Derek and the Dominoes, you know, for some Clapton examples and I started going back and listening to the original artists who wrote these songs and The, you know, finger style guitar, it's Delta blues, it's Piedmont blues um there's a lot of different branches and that have been conveniently labeled with their geographic locations because how else are we going to contextualize it from a modern perspective. Yeah, it's been interesting tracing these back to their origins and putting it in into historical context, you know, realizing and at Folk Alliance Guy Clark talked or not not Guy Clark, scratch that, reverse it. At Folk Alliance Guy Davis talked about um Decolonizing blues music and just recognizing the historical context from which it arose, you know It arose from the pain of an enslaved and oppressed people It's not necessarily meant to be performed in a large crowded bar in front of a bunch of drunk blues fans, you know And while that's it's a wonderful tradition that's arising now, you know, we've got Texas blues, Chicago blues um, I I worry that I'm being too critical of it, but I, I would like to, for that kind of blues to be regarded as separate and apart. It, it's a totally different tradition, blues rock.
0: So you have in, um I think it's in your TEDx UNO talk, this statement that telling the story of our modern global community through the stories of our ancestors, we can juxtapose past and present. Traditional songs and modern instruments, myths and realities. And so you mentioned Anne Mitchell and how singing about the wall and 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 how that feels very relevant today, of course, because it's been contextualized based on an ancient story to a modern manifestation of that. So have you got some songs that you've written that perhaps speak to? Maybe a traditional style, maybe an older story, an older narrative, but that speaks to an issue of today? I
1: probably have a few that could work into that, but especially speaking into issues of today... um... When I did TEDxUNO, and if, if you've watched the talk, you've perhaps heard this, I wrote this, when I first was writing my talk and starting to rehearse it, I was just going to do traditional songs, you know, Wayfaring Stranger, Boula Vogue from the Irish tradition, um, and then perhaps a blues tune, but then... I was reading back over my script and I realized, what kind of a hypocrite would I be if I didn't write a song for this and contribute to the folk tradition in my own way, with my own words. But as it happens, I didn't use my own words, I interpreted the words of someone else and put them to song. This is a song called Give Me Back the Doves, and it is, um assembled from the words of Bana al-Abed. She was a little girl who survived the bombings in Syria from when it was first starting to really break onto the national news circuit and people were actually starting to become aware of it. And um, she took to Twitter and she, um, with, her, with the help of her mother, she wrote on Twitter about what was happening around her. And she had some of the things that she said just resonated so deeply with me. And all of these images, all of these images are her own and borrowed from her, her words.
2: Hello my friends, how are you? The warplanes came back today We played outside in the rain today Our first time seeing the sun through the smoke My friends, this is not the moon, this is the bright light of death. This is happening now My land is small Like I am small Give me back my childhood Give me back the dove Hello, my friends, how are you? I was waiting for the angel to come. But she ran when she heard the bone. In the dust and ash, I am sad tonight. My land is small, like I am small. Give me back my childhood. Give me back the doubt. The deaths that will lead us home. Thank you. Thank
1: you.
0: (laughs) Uh, So I thoroughly enjoyed it, of course, but such a tortured subject matter uh, yeah, in some ways. No
1: kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, it's her story was, when I was going through her Twitter trying to comb through and find what was going to fit into this lyric, um, it was very, very hard. It was very hard to see. And she had some images in there, too, um, some images that I didn't think were quite right to fit into the song um i should add that the the last words in the bridge those are mine searching for the doves that will lead us through the waters um when she mentioned doves i saw a lot of biblical parallels to that you know trying to survive the flood so i wanted to bring that into the piece as well
0: do you think of yourself as perhaps i'm starting to think of you as stealthily subversive in what way so you're speaking to issues of today using a vehicle that is um, entertaining, feels unthreatening, but if you're really paying attention to it, it, it it can sneak up on you and hit you in the heart in a way perhaps that just standing outside with a placard can't reach you.
1: Mm-hmm. Nobody suspects the singer-songwriter. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody suspects us, but we sneak in that we sneak in that story. We sure do. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head there.
0: So the first time that this show will broadcast will be on Wednesday, July 4th, which is Independence Day. So it's a day that is given over to revolution in some ways and the birthing of something new. And I think for many people, if you think about folk music, many might think of uh, songs by Woody Guthrie, for example, and this idea of something that once seemed fairly innocuous but now it it is seen as a a chant of revolution in some ways. Are there other artists that, that inspire you in a way that you can see associated with revolution and folk music?
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, Aeneas Mitchell, as I mentioned before, is certainly one of them. She has really embraced um, that new interpretation of her music as, as Revolution. You know, Joni Mitchell is one of those that people remember her as this innocuous singer-songwriter, as somebody who sings love songs. You know, they remember A Free Man in Paris. They remember um, The Last Time I Spoke to Richard, songs like that. But, um... They might not necessarily listen to the undertones of Woodstock, you know. Um, And I dreamed I saw the bombers flying shotgun in the sky. They were turning into butterflies above our nation. You know, that's that's a pretty radical line right there. Especially, especially at the time when she wrote it, which I believe was at the height of the Vietnam War. So it's, yeah, it's always where, where you least expect it to come from. And there's a lot of, um... There's a lot of artists who are in the folk circuit now who are doing this as well, but perhaps a little bit more blatantly. And, um, I'm trying to think of some names, but I can't think of any off the top of my head, unfortunately. Um, but there, there are certainly artists who are, who present themselves. As revolutionaries. I do not present myself as such, um, you know, as you know, I'm very involved in the local community and in a lot of international populations within the local community of Omaha, but that doesn't necessarily always translate into my music and the way I present myself as a musician. And a lot of what it comes down to, unfortunately, is marketing. A lot of the time, um, you know, singer-songwriters who present themselves as protest singers aren't necessarily welcomed into the bar circuit. So that's why, you know, if I can hide it behind some pretty chords and a little bit of jazz, that's how I can sneak it in.
0: So you've alluded there to something which I've talked about before on this show with other people whose craft is creative in some way. And that's the business of being in a creative industry while at the same time perhaps not seeing a lot of remuneration or an ability to live a life off of funding associated with that. You've mentioned the bar circuit in some ways, and you've also mentioned the protest side of things. But What about just the pure business of being able to be a performer? How can you be a successful performer and sort of live a life?
1: It's difficult, and I am still trying to figure out that, uh, ever-present riddle. Um, I am just about to embark on the next step, um, the next adventure in life, which is that terrible fearsome thing known as grad school. And, um... <laughs> So I'm going to grad school to study fiction writing, so I guess I had in mind that, you know, if I combine these two very low-paying jobs, you know, these two jobs with no financial certainty always, um, maybe then I'll have some sense of financial certainty. But um, it's especially difficult when you are an artist and a creative type who has multiple outlets, who has these multiple ways. You can't necessarily, or you don't want to necessarily devote yourself singularly to one. So, you know, I've chosen not to become a touring musician at this point in my life because I do want to pause and work on the fiction thing and, you know, maybe I will regret that later. We'll find out, you know, maybe listening back to this podcast 10 years from now, we'll see where it all turned out. But um it's definitely not easy a lot of networking, so much networking. <laughs> You know, I'm lucky to have been able to attend things like Folk Alliance International, like Global Musician Workshop, like Frets and Refrains coming up in a couple weeks here. I'll be going up to New York to spend some time with Richard Thompson and Patty Griffin and some other songwriters from around the country. You know, not everybody has those opportunities, and I don't yet know the answer for how to make your way other than, you know, find your community. The Omaha community has been really instrumental in me creating a voice as a performer and, you know, finding finding my support network of individuals who are also in this crazy world we call creativity.
0: So when did you realize that music and perhaps distinctly from music, lyric writing and perhaps distinct from that too, literature, creative writing were a calling for you?
1: I think it all can be traced back to, you know, when I was a kiddo and starting to write my own storybooks, I would write and illustrate my own little fairy tales and bind them up with staples and present them to my parents like some hidden treasure. Um, So it all kind of started there. And even when I was writing stories, um, that's when I first started writing the music was as soundtracks to those stories. So it's, for me, it all comes back to the narrative. Um... You know, before I was writing poetry, before I was writing lyrics, I was writing songs, songs to accompany stories, soundtracks on the piano that I thought reminded me of movie soundtracks. So it's, that's where the intersection of words and music started for me.
0: So you, your LP, Vintage Sepia. So tell me about its genesis and any thematic components to that as a complete work.
1: So I chose the title Vintage Sepia out of uh, a line of lyric from the third track, Lonely Photograph. Take this vintage sepia that always made me think of yeah, before the wind blows out your cigarette. Um, that's how the line goes. And um, so that vintage sepia is a picture of Bob Dylan that I'm referring to, and it's a picture that I gave to a fellow songwriter in the community who I've since lost touch with as it happens. Um, It so often happens in this world. But um, I I chose that for the title because I like to think of these songs as kind of photographs from certain times in my life. Um, I've been working on these songs, I think the oldest one is probably from 2013, and that's going to be City Soundtracks, the first song I played for you today. Um, The newest song, I believe, is from 2015, so it's it's a uh, three-year range there when I was writing those songs. That was the same time when I was first starting to perform. I started performing in brunches and coffee houses and places like that when I was, you know, but a wee thing, a teenager. And, um, yeah, that was back in 2012, 2013. And I, I was playing a bunch of covers and traditional folk songs at the time. And then I realized, you know, people do want to hear my original voice. They do want to hear my original songs. They've been clamoring for it. And so I I started to produce these songs. And uh, they've been formulating in my head ever since.
0: So this, in some ways, then, sounds like... A memoir in some ways or perhaps a memoir of thought not necessarily a memoir of your life
1: you could certainly call it that a memoir of thought and I think the uh, the album cover reflects that I'm gonna take a moment to describe the album cover for those listening um, so I'm sitting on this Armchair that looks like it was discarded from someone's 1970s living room Um, And I'm holding a guitar and on one side of me you can see the guitar case Um, You can barely make out a journal. That's one of my lyric writing journals and a a Crocheted piece that I made. I also do textile arts. It's another outlet and on the other side of me There's this globe and uh, we stuck that in there. This was this album cover was photographed at some at an antique store that doubles as a photography studio here in Omaha, if you could believe it. And, um, yeah, the Globe, we wanted to put that in there because, you know, there's, there's been so many international influences on my life. You know, I worked in an international office throughout college and, um, you know, I studied abroad and did archeology span for a summer. So, um, we wanted to make sure that that was incorporated, and I think you can, you can see that same kind of aesthetic in these songs, bringing together disparate pieces of my life, disparate images that um, seem to not fit together. But when you put when you put them together in album form, I think they do.
0: It seems hard in some ways. You know, you have to be so active, as you said. You mentioned networking, but you have to be so proactive about. Uh, social media promotion. Um, so, what have you been doing, and what are you going to do to promote the album?
1: I'm sending this to several different radio stations across the country and across the pond, to um, just to and to magazines like No Depression, like uh, you know, which is a very well-known folk music magazine, and to things like Folk Alliance International, because um, those are the networks that I think would most appreciate
0: it. I don't know if you'd plan during this afternoon to to do this but would it make sense to play a song from this album?
1: Absolutely. So this is a tune called One More Song. And um, I'm particularly happy with how this turned out on the record because one of my friends from the Global Musician Workshop uh, actually sent down tracks all the way from Montreal in Canada. Um, he sent down a multi-tracked oboe part. And um, I'm really happy with how this turned out with the wind and the nature sounds at the end of it. But I'd like to play a stripped-down version for you today so you can get a feel for the song.
2: You try for your tattered life to be entwined with mine, but my life cannot be borrowed. You try offering up your tales for me to take. I cannot take your sorrows And oh, you'll just find your way along And oh, won't you stay for one more song You say that my likeness was The swift gazelle, always ready to run But I never tried to tame you You try, but you can't pretend That you never once knew How wicked the night could make you And oh, you'll just find your way along And oh, won't you stay for one more song Stay.
1: Thank you
0: It seems a remarkably courageous thing to do to me to be a performer. I guess you seem to be remarkably courageous. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, thank you i I take it as a compliment <laughs> yeah. were,
0: were you ever stage shy uh, it you know it, it seems that you it would be hard to be stage shy if you were sort of performing uh creative work for your parents and and you know that genesis of storytelling and and then taking it from there.
1: You know, I think what broke me of this stage shyness is um, not actually playing f- uh, for family or friends. I think it was really, you know, playing on a Sunday brunch in a crowded room when nobody cared and nobody was listening, or so it seemed. And then, you know, somebody would walk up to me after my after the end of my set and say thank you. And they would say, you know, something like, you know, that that was the most beautiful thing I could have heard today. Or, you know, just talking about how much it touched them. And I think that's when I realized how much songs can touch people, because it may seem that no one's listening, but they are.
0: How much of what you do is for you because you simply can't not do this creative work and how much of this is for you to touch other people
1: that is a wonderful question and one that i am still pondering every day (laughs) the songwriting itself the process of it of you know birthing a song from start to finish a lot of that is for me and that is my creative outlet it's the way that i express myself most fully um Fiction writing encompasses a different sort of expression for me. Um, Those are the stories that, you know, it's kind of like bringing dreams into manifestation. It's um, solidifying daydreams, things like that. When I create a song, I don't always do it with the express purpose of reaching a specific person. Sometimes I do. Sometimes, you know, I've, I've written songs. Uh, love songs for people who have been a part of my life and then weren't any longer. Um, I've written songs to tell people the things that I wish I could say to them in person. I think a lot of us have in the songwriting community. And then there's songs that just say something because it needed to be said.
0: So as we move towards a close, what for you are the things that need to be said?
1: To listen. That's what it comes down to for me. Um, not just to me, but to listen beyond the words. To, to listen to the stories that I'm trying to tell, but also to listen to those who were telling the stories before me. You know, if you... You know, say you pick up this album and you're really interested in learning more about that fingerstyle guitar, learning more about that slide guitar, go listen to Charlie Patton, go listen to Sister Rosetta Tharp, and Nick Drake, and Richard Thompson, and Fairport Convention. You know, find those artists, and then when you're done, go find the stories behind those artists.
0: I've been in conversation with Virginia Catherine, singer-songwriter, whose album Vintage Sepia has just been released. Virginia, thank you for being on the show.
1: Thank you.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: To listen to this show again and to hear past shows, download the podcast at iTunes, search for Lives Radio Show with Stuart Chittenden, and leave a review while you're there to let me know what you think of the show. Radio Show is supported by Humanities Nebraska, inspiring and enriching personal and public life by delivering opportunities to engage thoughtfully with history and culture. Learn more at humanitiesnebraska.org.
1: that is out of tune sorry
0: (laughs) that's the end of this week's show the magnificent Marion Fay helped produce the show Lives is an executive production of Squish Talks I'm your host Stuart Chittenden join me next week for more community conversation and the people that bring community to life